0: Hi and welcome to Be More Now. My name is Blake Moore and tonight I'm interviewing Mendocino County author Dot Brevarney and poet Kate Dougherty We'll be discussing Bavarni's latest book, Mendocino Refuge, Lake Leonard and Reeves Canyon, which explores the Mendocino Canyon that holds the county's largest natural lake and a fascinating history, telling a multifaceted story of place through the interconnected lives of its plants, wildlife and human inhabitants from geological time to present. So before I bring up the interview we had earlier this week, I'd like to tell you that historian Dot Brevarney, Masters in Arts, writes about the connections past and present between humans and the natural world. She published The Sweet Life, Cherry Stories from Butler Ranch, and co-authored the award-winning Remember Your Relations, The Elsie Allen Baskets, Family and Friends, chronicling the lives and art of native Pomo basket weavers. For 30 years, she made her home in Mendocino County's Oak Woodlands before recently resettling over the hill on an ancient marine terrace in Fort Bragg. Dot's latest book, Mendocino Refuge, Lake Leonard and Reeves Canyon, explores the Mendocino Canyon that holds the county's largest natural lake and a fascinating history. With over 200 photographs and watercolor maps, Mendocino Refuge tells a multifaceted story of the wild place on the California's north coast through its human inhabitants and the plants and animals who share it. For more information about the book, visit MendocinoRefuge.com. Kate Dougherty is a Mendocino County resident and longtime poet who first admitted to being a practicing poet around 1977. When she moved to Elk, California in 1979, she began volunteering to teach poetry at her children's elementary school. At the Greenwood School, she helped publish student books, broadsides, and poems, and at the same time took up printing small books and broadsides of her own as Dougherty Designs. She worked with the California Poets in the Schools program in the 80s, and in 1986, 87, and 88, she received a teaching grant from the California Arts Council to teach poetry and letterpress to the elementary grades in Point Arena. Pygmy Forest Press published a chapbook of her poems, The Elk Poems, in 1989. For a few years on and off in the mid-80s and 90s, she co-hosted the KZOX poetry program, Wild Sage, with Dan Roberts, she continues to practice combining calligraphy, graphic design, poetry, and passages of import in personal visual notebooks. Here's a conversation the three of us had earlier this week.
1: All right, well, I have Dot Bravarni here with me. And Dot, would you start us out with a reading from your latest book, Mendocino Refuge, Lake Leonard and Reeves Canyon?
2: I'd be happy to. This is several excerpts from chapter one, uh, Canoeing the Lake with Sandy, and that's Sandy Marshall, who's been going to this lake uh, since she was a child, and she's in her 70s now. And um, she was my guide on this lake visit. It's the middle of a winter afternoon, and a dense conifer forest already shades the western half of Lake Leonard. With no wind, we glide across the glassy surface, binoculars at the ready. We follow in the paddle strokes of Una Boyle, the Lady of the Lake. Una spent three full decades, 1921 to 1952, and many childhood summers at the lake beginning in the 1890s. She rode, paddled, floated, and swam these waters, usually accompanied, uh, excuse me, uh, by one or more of many canines. We hew to the lake's east side where the sun's rays warm us and cast glints of alabaster in the distance, the bellies of common mergansers and the triangular splotched crowns of their hooded relatives. Luna was a keen observer of the watershed's wildlife and mergansers are just one of the many species that she recorded. She also noted Ospreys, greeds, varied thrushes, and American dippers who feed in streams by ducking their heads up to 60 times per minute. She wrote about pond turtles, salamanders, river otters, bears, and those that she considered wildest of all, panthers. Soon we glimpsed the stone chimney of the chuck hole standing like a sentry to mark what's left of a ramshackle cabin along the eastern shore. Clambering out of the canoe, we navigate through the overgrowth of the chuck hole and embark on an above-ground archaeological adventure. Sporting a coat of emerald green lichen, the weather-worn split logs hunker down on their slow journey toward collapse. The most exciting discovery for us might seem ho-hum to others, a couple of old wood-burning stoves that we find sitting outside the hole. We believe that we have found Mrs. Rohr and her daughter Aurora, both appropriately named with a healthy dose of humor by Una Boyle decades ago. Missing parts and resting in old age, the two have been cast out of the home they once served so well. Mrs. Roar and Aurora, once robust and productive, now exist only in memory and imagination. We must paddle harder as we head back into a wind that has picked up as it does most afternoons on the lake. Shadows appear beneath the water's surface, down trees, weakened by age and felled by wind. Their bodies rest, surrendered, and entombed. Recumbent ghosts, but in fact, they live on, supporting life in the lake as habitat for many species. Underwater, they provide nesting places for bass, spawning spots for various fish, and sheltered spaces for tadpoles and for salamanders to lay eggs. Above water, their exposed trunks provide beaches for wood ducks and pond turtles to sunbathes. As we approach the North Shore, Sandy mentions that a ridge to the east had slipped thousands of years ago and dammed an ancient creek, creating the lake. I marvel at the enormity of it all—this massive shift of earth and how it transforms the landscape. Today, atop this immense, immense swath of displaced land, a few houses sit. By a small fruit orchard and the lake, all cradled by stands of bay laurel, Douglas fir, and old growth coast redwoods.
1: Thank you. Okay. Wow.
2: So um, I would like to just um, convey the arc of the book. This is just one small piece and in uh, the research um, and what I learned in the process, I was able to go from geological origins of this place to the fact that it is now the subject of climate change research by the U.S. Geological Society. And in between, um, I was able to examine the interface among people, and land, and plants, and animals. And so within the story, of course, the POMO, uh, the early settlers, um, the 19th century logging, hunting, fishing, uh, later settlers, more logging, more destructive. And ultimately, by the late 1990s, a conservation uh, uh, movement at the lake and over the ridge into Big River. And um, to be able to examine that uh, breadth and um, learn these individual stories was was gratifying.
1: I'm curious, before you dive into that, how did you what made you want to write this book? Was it your own fascination with that area and you just started looking deeper into it? Is it? Are you connected to that land already?
2: Well, I had learned about the lake in the early, about 1990, about 1990. And I was curator at the Grace Hudson Museum at the time and had just started and was flipping through the binder, the big fat binder of copy prints, and there was uh, Grace Hudson, the artist, uh, in a rowboat on this mountain lake, and I thought, hmm, I guess she and John made a trip up to the Sierra and mentioned that, and the museum director corrected me, and she said, oh, no, that lake is just a few miles, about a dozen miles up the road here from Ukiah, which to me was un- unbelievable. Um, so that was my my first taste of this lake, but I personally didn't get there myself until uh, 2012 or 13.
1: Is it fairly difficult to get to? I know it back in the area by Ore Springs, right? It's off Ore Springs Road? Well, it's off Highway 101 uh-huh. uh,
2: between Ukiah and Willis, uh, and uh west of redwood valley and it is a long winding road through a beautiful uh canyon uh, with uh probably mostly second growth redwood Uh and doug fir Uh, and it takes a good bit of time to get there there are lots of chuck holes which now una came up with the name for that cabin i was describing um the crow
3: flies, it is near
2: Springs, right? Um, and if the lake itself is situated right up against the ridge that separates the Russian River watershed from the Big River watershed. And, yes, as the crow flies to the south, Springs is quite close. In fact, I think it's maybe two miles.
1: But you can't access it Horse Spring's Road. You have to access it differently.
2: Um, I think if you went from Or Spring's Road on a horse, you might be able yeah, to Yeah, exactly.
1: Walking or some other way, but not by not a vehicle.
2: Greenfielders used to, and some still do, hike overland to the lake. But I, you know, I need to add at this point that it is privately owned. So even oh, yeah. if you were, if you were <laughs> to drive um, up the road through the truck holes, <laughs> you're going to come to a locked gate. Um, but the beauty of the place is in that it there are large houses there and the owners, the family that owns at the Dakins do make the houses available for rent. And if you have enough friends, you can actually get a pretty good deal. Uh, because of the the size of the houses. So there is access to it, and the Native Plant Society and some local groups do occasionally uh, open up hikes there.
1: So you found it, you discovered it. What inspired you to write the book?
2: Well, the
1: book, we would fast
2: forward to 2014, and I got an email from Nancy Hensley, who um, had encountered a gentleman on Reeves Canyon Road, and they realized they both knew the same woman, Hazel Putnam, and that gentleman had been her caretaker uh, in her later years in the canyon. And Nancy found out that he had been given a trunk by a family member after her death and nancy was so excited because she had um, taken writing lessons from hazel and was thinking about her um, as she uh, journeyed up the canyon and they made an arrangement whereby he uh, loaned the trunk for her to her to go through and when she went through it she was so struck by the richness of the material in there and felt that it was something that, you know, our local community uh, needed to know about because it was an important and interesting chunk of our history. And so she got my name as a historian from uh, my friend Dorothy Gale and emailed me and asked me if I would come and look at it. So I drove down to her place in Hopland and I was just stunned. I mean, this, trunk has Hazel Dickinson Putnam's entire life contained in it Um, going back to you know her uh, Midwest ancestors and uh, genealogy but what I felt was most um, significant for Mendocino County to know about uh, were the photographs she had uh, Lots and lots oodles of um, snapshots of the canyon beginning in the early 1900s and in the teens, the 20s, 30s, into the 40s, and the scope of the images really provided just an incredible visual documentation of not only the canyon but the lake uh, at the same time. So. Nancy said to me, I went back actually. I was so impressed that I went back twice to document the collection. And finally, when I had everything that I felt was important to, to note down, she said, well, well, so what can we do with this? <laughs> How can we, you know, share it or make sure it gets out there? And it had, incidentally, been in storage for 20 years. Um, and so this was sort of a potential coming out uh, for this story. And I said, well, how about a book? Right. And that's how it all began.
1: That's beautiful. And you've done other books, The Butler Ranch, and. Mm-hmm. A few people, when I they heard that I was doing the show with you, wrote about how amazing you are. <laughs> yes, so wanted to put that out there to you. <laughs> oh,
2: thanks, Blake. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember and the Elsie Allen basket. Yes, yes, that was one of. I mean, just like this experience, the Elsie Allen book and project was such a gift. Right. Because I had just, I had just come to Mendocino County um, and, you know, was a white girl from the city, a whole, a complete newbie and uh, was invited and welcomed into the Pomo Elder Basket Weaver's homes with my tape recorder, with my camera. I mean, it was just remarkable.
0: I want to remind you that you're listening to Be More Now. I'm your host, Blake Moore, and I'm speaking with Dot Bavarney. And we're talking about her latest book, Mendocino Refuge, Lake Leonard and Reeves Canyon. Kate Dougherty is also with us.
2: And I sort of feel the same way about this book because, you know, the trunk is the seed, but many, many other um, wonderful things were revealed in my research process. I was very, very lucky.
1: There's a historian, but also being such a beautiful narrative writer, you feel that you're being transported in time. I think that's the most Mm -hmm. important part of encountering, especially this close-up local stories of this county that we don't really know and that ability to be able to share that. I think it's just so important. So thank you for doing that work.
3: Can I add something here? Um, One of the things that's really fun about reading this book is that not only historically records everything through data and not only is a good writer, but she writes it the way the story unfolded and revealed itself to her, which is like, as a reader, it's like following a mystery story and this coincidence and this person there, and then this popped up there and who knew? And it really makes it very fun. It's the joy of being a historian. And usually when you read a text of history, it's like uh, just facts, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. (laughs) but we get to travel with a historian who's discovering these things by meeting people and asking questions. And it's really a wonderful adventure to read the Mm -hmm.
1: book. Yes. Again, so much of the history, you know, about the County and just the world for that matter is male dominated. So amazing women. I mean, did that help you? These women that come out through your story, did that help you write this book? Was that part of your extra inspiration besides the photograph?
2: Um, Well, you know, there are men in here,
1: so I do Yes, want there to. are men in there. Don't, I I'm do sorry that them. I wasn't trying to exclude men. It's just you don't really oh, hear no, no, about no, the no. women oh, as much, I'm correct?
2: Just, yeah, I'm just
1: for the audience's. Yes, education. I'm sorry. I, I love men. I'm not, there's no part of me that's doing any male bashing, making sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that um,
2: the women, this is really a key for me. The women. In this case, and I think often, save, record, and save. So in terms of documents, we get these rich and, may I say, you know, heartfelt, emotional, intimate kind of connection. And in the case of this book, I had Hazel's photos, and I found a set of poems written by somebody named Kate for the moment, Um, Uh, and uh, I was also able to locate a set of letters in Washington State through a circuitous path. The letters had been written by the woman I was reading about, Una Boyle, and those letters uh, have been saved by her, uh, one of the recipients nephews uh, for all these years. Hazel died in 1952, um, and
3: it seems to me that following the history of that place through time, um, without any conscious effort of gender, that when you do that, the names of men only seem to come up in the 17th and 18th, excuse me, the 18th and 19th centuries uh, with very few women named, the men were the owners. The men were the power brokers. The men were the, the loggers and saw land as a resource and also the invaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I might add, um, along with uh, not just men being invaders, but the family unit coming across, the white folks coming across and taking land, taking land. Um, so if you just track history objectively in that way in this book it's really fascinating that at the turn of the century around the beginning of the 20th century women's names start popping up as um, being mentioned more and more Um, the Dakin family Una um, Hazel these were women that were born well Hazel and Una were on that property and they loved it and they cherished it and it wasn't necessarily a resource it was something more dear to them and consequently and through the luck of who una sold the land to the family that bought it and their how shall i say their view of property and land and beauty and resource had the good fortune that land had the good fortune to be taken over by stewards of the land and um, and and that's where the names of women start happening. Also, it's really interestingly, like, if you look at the scientists that are documented in this book so beautifully, so so thoroughly, the, the archaeologists begin to um, begin to show women in the um, in their papers, not just the men. And the scientists towards the end of our century were almost all women. I don't know whether you noticed that. Or not, but the mm-hmm. um, the botanist, ethnobotanist, the mm-hmm. um, the conservation um, CEO, and so without meaning to document women in history, you just doc. You take a place. You don't take an empire. You don't take a dynasty. You don't take a country. You take a small canyon and um, a lake, and you document document what happens to that small place throughout time, through the geological eons that formed it to, to our present day. And it just automatically tells the story within the story. It's fascinating. Yeah, I just thought I'd add that.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Kate. I think you need to be my marketing director. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, these letters and these photographs uh, of Hazel emerged, the letters that B had written. And uh, and seven more photo albums came from uh, Bea Howitt, the recipient of the letter from her family, along with 200 uh, pages um, of uh, Una's letters. And interestingly enough, the letters uh, from Una had been typed, so I never did find the original. And what that means is that B. Howitt, who received the letters along with another friend, had, I believe, intended to write a book herself. And anyway, it was nice to have these versions because she was able to clarify and make little editorial notes that um, were, were very helpful. Yeah
1: talk more about the women and what they were doing in the canyon, you know, just some more of the stuff that they were up to. And I wanted you to read Una's short poem.
2: Okay. Yes, I can do that.
1: I wanted
2: to just share uh, that Una was a Marin uh, born and raised in relative wealth person who chose to return to this lake of the summers of her childhood you know full time to live there year round which was um, pretty much unheard of um, at the time and uh, the two friends that she wrote letters to uh, one was uh, the first uh, female physician in davis and the woman i've referred to be howitt Um, who actually typed the letters, um, was a bacteriologist uh, working for the government. And these women were active, grew up around uh, the 19 teens. And as we know, the the feminist movement was getting underway at the time. And so we're talking about a group of strong women. And even though uh, Una herself didn't pursue academia. She was uh, immensely curious and had a fabulous sense of humor um, and lived basically with the exception of a a kind of a property manager, um, fence constructor uh, gentleman um, by herself up there. She also had an off-and-on cook. Anyway, I was just fascinated at her story, which she details in these letters uh, over a period from 1917 to 1949. And how did she manage, how did she survive? Even though she came from some wealth, her father who amassed the wealth in the silver Nevada silver rush, he really wasn't in the picture at all. So she struggled, and it was her friend B who would loan her money to keep, keep life going there. She had a love of animals, a curiosity about nature, um, and her sense of humor, and she had uh, her religious faith, which she was very quiet about, uh, uh, Catholic faith. Um, I think all those things were what enabled her to uh, make a go of it up there in this wild, wild place. And I'd like to read her poem, uh, Reeves Canyon Washout. And I think this one poem really gives you a good sense of her personality. Straight from Reeves Canyon and wet to the skin, I accosted St. Peter and asked for my kin. I shivered and chattered and couldn't talk plain. Says he, go to hell ma'am, I don't get your name. Come in, says the devil, you're traveling late. I fished for you often and used horses for bait. Old neighbors nodded as in I strode. Say they, foot or horseback and how's the road? Streamlined, says I, I've been lost for a spell. Reeves Canyon landmarks washed plum to hell. But I should worry. This hot place suits. And I nodded to Satan to pull off my boots.
1: That's pretty good. (laughs) Some rugged life right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
2: so you really get a feel of how rugged it was. In the body, in the bodies of these letters, uh, you know, bri- uh, flooding, uh, bridges collapsing, uh, snow uh, so deep that the horses would get stuck in it. Uh, Una had to, in the winter time, leave a car to the north at at Ridgewood Ranch so that she could get into Willits to shop, and she would. Uh, ride her horse over to the to pick up the car. Um, it was a very very um, isolated but but just beautiful, wondrous wondrous place.
1: And was there a man in her life? Was she out there by herself?
2: My sense
1: of it,
2: as I was reading through the letters uh, the first time, was that she was an independent person. She was stubborn. Comfortable, I think, in a lot of ways, being surrounded by uh, nature, wildlife, her animals. She called her uh, collection of animals uh, the Boyle Zoo. Uh Uh, She had practically every animal you can imagine.
3: She did marry, right?
2: And anyway, yes. So I thought, you know, this is one independent woman. Yes, is so cool. And but guess what happened? Uh, when what she happened? Was, <laughs> <laughs> when she was about 29, she took on uh, as a an employee. I guess he was a cowboy <laughs> to to help you know around the place, and she was quite taken with him, and um you know, I could try to find the spot in the book to, to uh, read um, a little bit about that. I was completely shocked. And it comes out in a letter, uh, one of her letters, where she says to her friend, the medical doctor, Ruth Storer, now please sit very tight on your chair. Or, if you are standing, place your back against the wall. I have a bit of news for you. Ready, set, go. I am to be married in February to a wild man. Wild and unspoiled and very, very sweet. He loves Zo as well as me. I'm terribly happy. Needless to say, I was bowled over this just as I'm sure both her her friends were so so she did have a marriage and I might just let people read about um, how that story went
1: that's great so that's a good example of how you said you're going through the research and then you're discovering these pieces that you, you didn't expect to find so it was a bit like a treasure hunt where you're uncovering a life and in that you know you had this one vision and then It makes sense, though, that it would have to be a wild person who would want to be out there with her.
2: (laughs) Indeed, indeed, yeah. Um, But, I mean, again, I think this gets back to those kind of discoveries are possible when you find material that is, you know, reflective and offers, you know, insight and intimacy to a person so in other words, in the chapters that the men are in, which are quite a few naturally, fleshing out those characters, well, it was difficult because the kind of uh, documentation and information available generally is, I mean, I think as Kate mentioned, um, you know, work records ownership records you know business kind of um, uh, material Mm -hmm. so i just um, reveled in having access to uh una and hazel in in what feels like a, a very deep way and as i said earlier i was very interested in identifying Uh, The poet who had, um, Hazel had saved a set of poems. They were uh, typewritten and stapled together, a rusty staple by the time I saw it. And there was a handwritten salutation. I believe it was titled Some Poems for Hazel. And the date was January of 1979, uh, and signed Love Kate. So I had attempted from 2014 on, uh, in between my research and writing, to you know inquire of everyone I could think of if they knew a poet named Kate who was writing and living in uh, the county in the late 70s so i went down a couple of um uh paths to talk to a few people and who had kate in their family and hit hit uh, dead end and then in 2019 i was working on uh, the ukiah haiku uh, festival and so i was in a room with a group of probably at least six or eight poets. And I thought, okay, somebody here has got to know who this person is. And um, luckily for me, uh, this is another one of those gifts. Armand said, Well, what about Kate Darty on the coast? I said, Who? What? How do I get a hold of her? And, um, I don't think Armand, uh, was in touch with her at that point, uh, in time since it was in fact, Blake, 40 years later to the month <laughs> that I, that I got this information and, um, Armand said, we'll check with, uh, Dan Roberts. And that's what I did. I believe I called and talked to him on the phone because I, and he, knew exactly how to reach her Uh, and so that's when i sent her an email and said you know could these poems be yours
0: once again i want to remind you that you are listening to be more now i'm your host blake moore and i'm speaking with dot brevarney as well as kate Dowerty, and we're talking about the book mendocino refuge
2: (laughs) uh let blake let you uh introduce uh, the Mystery Poet is what I have called her for five years. And I'm so grateful to have found her because she had a very close relationship with Hazel. And I had interviewed a number of people about Hazel um, because she did teach horseback riding uh, in several places in the county in the uh, 60s, 70s, and I think into the 80s um and every person that i interviewed had um something you know their sense of her was that she was rather gruff and tough and um and then i'm thinking well there is this set of poems there's this relationship um Anyhow, uh, I want to let it go, except to say that that Kate had uh, a much different perspective.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, just love the story that you discovered these poems. There was a first and last name, but you did not know who this poet was. And through the incredible Mendocino no. County Poet Network, you know Armand Brent, and then you had Dan Roberts, and you're at the Ukiah Fuku Fest. You find these, you figure out who she is and you reach out to her. I have heard of Kate, but it's pretty exciting because, Kate, I know that you moved here in 1979 is when you came to Cove. You started teaching at the elementary school in Elk, right? And then you helped with letterpress yes. at the Greenwood School and publishing books and broadsides, and you got involved with California Poets in the Schools. And I have been with Poets in the Schools since around 2000. So I, I too, have heard your name. I love this crazy full circle that Mendino <laughs> Refuge is bringing all the way through for me as well, which is very interesting. Yeah. So, these poems that Dot discovered, can you talk about those poems and how they ended up where they are?
3: Well, I was writing, when, I, I lived in Willis for a year in 19, from seventy-seven through, well, 78 through 79, and then my family moved to the coast. So, that year of Willis, I, I met Hazel. <clears throat> and i discovered she liked poetry and i did not know anyone here i went to one poetry reading and started knowing the poets through the readings but um i found out she loved poetry and i asked her to teach me horseback riding i met hazel through a family in willits the wagonette we really hit it off in a a lot of different ways and so i Loved sharing my poems, who else was going to read my poetry, you know, Um, and um, so I, and she loved getting them, which as you know, as a writer is a wonderful gift to have someone receive your art um, like food, like, like it's necessary, like it's a wonderful thing. Um, So we bonded in that way. And so I, I wrote a piece about her and it was prose. And I gave that to her. And I had written a poem about California, which was just god-awful. I asked Dot never to show that to anybody. I loved it. Uh, So so anyway, so that's how my poems, and the fact that she treasured those poems was so beautiful to me, so meaningful. And she meant so much to me that, well, I say this in the poem, I tried finding out, you know how is she where is she and she had already died and i tried finding out more about her and, and was i was absolutely amazed that i could not track her down she seemed so phenomenal to me so and then when dot uh, called me it was it just sent chills up and down my back because i had been searching and i gave up oh. and so Dot calls me and wants know did i know hazel and just that question was like oh my god why how do you know hazel where do you know who who what where and so dot came over and we talked about her and um and so i received more information about her and who she was and her life and her pictures it was just an absolute treasure and so dot asked me if i'd write a poem no one i've never written a poem at someone's request ever and I said, well, you know, I've been wanting to write a poem about Hazel, and I just can't, I haven't, it hasn't come yet. She goes, well, maybe it will come before the end of the book. <laughs> and so the end was coming. And, and so I had to write on consignment, even though I wanted to. I couldn't get a handle. I, there, An inspiration didn't come. So, so anyway, I, I just I just wrote about my
1: Are you going to read the poem? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear it.
3: Okay, this is Hazel. I didn't know what I was looking for, but her presence assured me it existed. Like the crone in a fairy tale who held some wisdom or herb, something I needed, but could not see. Yes, she knew horses. What did I want her to teach me? I explained there must be a better way than the way I was taught. Though I had conventional Eastern equitation and weekly practice as a girl, what was the connection the Plains Indians had? Bareback, nothing but string resting in that gap between the horse's bottom teeth. There must be something more. The dance of dressage without the rigid braced neck and the long shanked metal bit. An equal communication, a dance. Is this possible? I look into a horse's eyes sometimes and I ache to know what such an intelligence is trying to say to me. Clearly, I am the ignorant one. Our first lesson, I failed miserably, mounted two times before she ordered me down. You did not check in with your horse, did not even introduce yourself. Horses are not machines, they are creatures. Emotional, intelligent, physical beings, not things. (laughs) Hazel was born in Mendocino County. As a child, returned often and finally came back for good. She knew this place in an intimate way. Her knowing was like none I'd ever known. It was not the understanding of book-learned historians or awarded scientists, though she read books and loved to learn. Something there was in her eyes, and the quality of energy around her when she spoke about the redwoods and their capacities. The imported white deer now roaming in these parts. Her overnight rides to the coast with her best friend on their horses. The joy she took in sharing with folks how to hike to the top of Eagle Peak, thrilled with the view that awaited them. He answered my questions from the heart of experience we spoke of the goings and comings of salamanders lichen blooming on the rock at the entry of her property blooming rock she called it only blooms two weeks out of the year you should come and see it next year phonies followed her around her place like children dogs came to her movements and eyes Chickens roosted in trees. Never saw the stellar's day she shot from her deck when they tried to steal her hen's tackleberry. <clears throat> her place was a sanctuary she honored and protected. She never spoke directly of this, but quietly walking the land with her, you knew it. Tenderness was the core of her legendary ferocity igniting when strangers hunted or logged her land. You could say she owned that place, but it really was a love affair, and she loved her partner in countless mysterious ways. When she looked out over the mountains to the trees, stood in the wind, looked at the sky, walked toward any creature... I knew I was seeing a child's stick drawing compared to her scene. Decades later, I searched to find more about Hazel and could find nothing, not even online. What was I looking for? How could there be nothing left behind about this woman? And then she came back to me. 40 years later, someone wanting to know more about Hazel Putnam, to know more about Lake Leonard to know more about Mendocino County. Was I the poet Kate who had given Hazel some poems in 1979? How did you find me? Well, there is this trunk that belonged to Hazel Putnam. (laughs) And now I wonder, could it be Hazel was showing me how to love our earth, unaware of any doing on her part or mine, more a transmission participation in never-ending, ever-evolving, multi-layered Gaia consciousness. I asked for horses, and she gave me the center of the world below Eagle Peak in Mendocino. Thank you. You're
1: I imagine that is in the book, so you wrote that for the book and to bring it's that. It's not to-
3: only in the book, Blake, but Teresa Whitehill, designed this book so beautifully and she she's a good friend she's a poet and she laid this out this poem out in a way that a poem has never been (laughs) published it's just gorgeous it's another thing that just brings tears to your eyes it's just so amazing yeah it's in the book
1: Mm -hmm. i love Mm -hmm. that we have such a rich group of incredibly talented I mean I just had Teresa and Felicia on my show with Sydney last mm-hmm. last month and with heavy lifting and got to go and see their presentation at the Coast Community Library and I know you just presented do you have presentations coming up anymore? Uh, I, I went to
3: the opening Yeah, it was transformational for me you know I told all my friends in the Bay Area the date where she they're going to be doing that showing in Berkeley. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so phenomenal. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, so we are running out of time, and I want to make sure that everybody knows how to, how to find you, how to get the book, you know, when you're going to be presenting, because you, you too are doing public presentations. What's next in that way?
2: Well, I first want to, before I forget, give out my uh, the website for the yes. book, because that details... Um, upcoming events as well as where which bookstores are stocking the book so it's uh, com. okay and i'm hoping to do a presentation in willits over the summer but it hasn't been scheduled yet and I'd like to do it with the artist Linda McDonald because she actually came up to the lake with me and uh, made several paintings which appear in the book. In September, I'll be doing a presentation at the Grace Hudson Museum, Uh, and both of those are dates to be announced. Okay. You know, I just want to add, I think, in terms of the community, I couldn't have done this book without help and input from a whole range of people. And I'm not going to name them all because they're too many. And of course they're in the acknowledgements, but botanists, geologists, painters, photographers, poets, they all contributed and, and generously. And I'm just so grateful. Yeah, we do well, have I'm... a collaborative, very sharing community here. Yeah. And
1: yeah. Absolutely. If
3: I if I could add something here, um, I don't know whether um you'll be able to edit in and out, but there's an aspect of the book that is phenomenal to me that we haven't touched on, and that is the history of the Pomo in this particular place. I think Dr. Yeah, I,
1: I was gonna bring that up because we are we really are out of time and that's too bad okay. because you know, you talk about colonial incursion, you've got geology, you're talking about the Palmo traditions, logging, conservation efforts. I mean, there's so much in this book. And it is so rich. And, you know, you deserve hours and hours. And so I really want to encourage listeners to go and find this book. It's, it's, it's really an inspiration. And there's, like you said, it's such an outpouring, and it's very collaborative. And you don't, It's not dry. You don't feel like, oh, this is, you know, here I am reading about history. Mm -hmm. It it really is alive and rich with stories and people and traditions. And so thank you for that. Mm. Um, I think, you know, the book is
2: very complex. And so winnowing and boiling it down to 40 minutes just, you know, is overwhelming to me in some ways. Um, Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I think that that's okay. That's part of the process but I think it's gonna be great. Your passion and your joy for what you're doing comes through so loudly, and it's it's really a beautiful outpouring. So I'm very grateful that you guys took this time and just are willing to be part of the show. So thank you.
2: You're welcome. welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for this show.
1: Yeah, and thank you for all you're doing to support the history and also that literary understanding of the way that we tell our stories. So beautiful, beautiful work. Thank you.
2: It was a joy. Thank you, Blake. hmm
0: And that concludes my interview with Dot Brevarney and Kate Dougherty talking about Mendocino Refuge, Lake Leonard and Reeves Canyon. Well, thank you all so much for listening tonight, and I hope you have a beautiful evening and enjoy spring. Get your gardens in and eat from the ground from this beautiful earth that is Mendocino County.